0: Hi everyone, this is Holly Herndon.
1: I'm Matt Dryhurst.
0: And you're listening to
2: Interdependent.
0: the free version of this podcast if you would like to hear the full version and support this series please visit patreon.com slash interdependence this podcast is ad free and only possible through patron support thank you
3: ring ring ring
1: hi hello audience people <laughs>
3: <laughs> hey matt thanks so much for having us <laughs>
1: Um, just quickly, because I have to say Audius people, because we have three guests, three members of the Audius squad um, on the pod, would you mind introducing yourselves uh, individually and then we'll talk a little bit about Aud- what Audius is after?
3: For sure. Uh, I-, I can get started. I'm Roniel Rumberg. I'm one of the co-founders of uh, Audius and uh, Forrest uh, here and I started Audius in uh, early 2018.
4: Yeah. So this is uh, Forrest, Ronil's, uh counterpart and... Uh... Also co-founder of Audius.
2: <laughs> and and uh, I'm Clayton. I'm head of partnerships at Audius. Um, just general music industry curmudgeon. Um, and yeah, st- stoked to be here talking to you guys.
1: Cool. Well, okay, then. So who wants to take a stab? Uh, uh, you know, in this, in the course of this discussion, I'm guessing that there's a lot of priors that we're going to have to like qualify for people who aren't super familiar if we talk about tokens or staking or nodes or whatever, but if you were to give like a high level introduction to what Audius is as a project, um, yeah, would you mind doing that?
3: Yeah, I, I can take that one. Um, so, Audius is a digital streaming service that connects fans directly with artists and exclusive new music. Um, and that direct bit is is kind of the key difference between uh, Audius and and some of the things that have uh, that have preceded it. So. Um, we enable that by being uh, fully decentralized. So there's this network of uh, basically servers being run by like folks in our community and uh, uh, other things that kind of keep the network uh, operational. Um, and it's it's because of that there's this opportunity or mechanic for artists and fans to directly interact with one another uh for artists to own their audience own the data around that audience like how they found their content how much it's being listened to what's breaking out uh all in real time um and and eventually as well uh instantaneous payment uh uh coming from from that interaction so um so yeah that's that's uh that's audius um, you know the the kind of yeah, I guess there's the decentralized bits, there's the token bits, there's all, all that stuff we can get into. But at, at a really high level, I think you know that's that's all that's needed to kind of wrap your head around what this looks like. Wonderful. Uh,
1: uh, yeah, I mean, so that's really instructive because actually the exclusivity part is really curious. I mean, I'm really curious about that. That's really awesome. Um, Beforehand, maybe, could one of you give me some indication on what prompted the decision to build this? And I only say so in so much as, you know, when you speak to a lot of people in, let's say the business community, or maybe like the VC community, one thing that I've often noticed is that they often come back and say, well, you know, we solved music, right? Um, Now you've been doing this project since 2018. Clearly you disagree with that proposition. Um, And I'm sure you each have an answer to this. Uh, But but. But uh, (laughs) why haven't we solved music? Um,
3: (laughs) Yeah, so I mean, I'll give my super quick one. Uh, Artists only make 12% of revenue that the music industry generates um i i don't think anyone could in in good conscience consider that solving music <laughs> if you think about the people who are creating all of the value uh capture only only 12 of it um but yeah i can tell a quick story about this because uh, I, I think for forrest and i this wasn't actually, like, motivated by, you know, uh, sort of systemic injustice in the music industry, although we have learned a lot more about that, obviously, since then. Uh, Forrest and I were just big EDM heads, and, like, we saw a lot of our favorite uh, creators and and favorite content uh, disappearing from, from SoundCloud primarily at the time, right? Um, and uh, we asked ourselves, you know, like, I guess, you know, from... 2000 to 2015 or so when we started to notice that there have been so many different ways that we consume music right and we started to ask ourselves like what if there could be a place where music could live forever irrespective of whether the company that starts the thing like wants to keep supporting it or not supporting it um and and more broadly uh you know that what if that that uh uh, means of you know sharing music online were something that artists owned and operated themselves right um that and that was really the genesis of you know when we first started thinking about this um but yeah it really just came from like we we liked electronic music and saw a lot of our favorite music disappearing and we were like why is it disappearing and then we you know learned more about all this stuff right uh but it's it's kind of funny it was not like this sort of uh uh i don't know like master plan light bulb kind of thing it was just like to college kids wanting to, you know, hear cool music. <laughs> no, I, I was just gonna uh
4: throw on a little bit on, on top of that, like to to kind of take it from more of like an artist perspective around kind of, you know, hasn't the, the music industry been solved, so to speak. Like obviously on the financial side of things, you know, like Reneal mentioned, 12% like clearly is not um probably the most fair distribution of <laughs> of financials uh financials at the end of the day. But then what's also interesting is like even from a product perspective, right? Like nobody thinks that this has been solved. Uh, perhaps we're kind of like the mainstream top 1% of artists. If you talk to them, you know, they use Spotify, and that's where like, you know, a, a decent chunk of the population goes to listen to music. But then if you're, you know, talking to even like a mid-tier artist or a bedroom DJ, like those guys more than anyone else, like absolutely don't think that this is a solved problem. And so that's kind of an interesting point where, even though the very, very top tier 1% may be um, more happy with the current solutions, I think, you know, the 99% of artists that that aren't, you know, headlining stadiums, Um, those are the folks that that are more unhappy than ever
2: yeah and and for me it it very much was a light bulb moment where i had been working in the traditional music industry for you know the better part of a decade and i I got really i really got started in like the post uh like even like soundcloud had gone soundcloud had been it was like a machine and was absolutely like driving a lot of uh you know discovery and, and create a lot of careers including my own but at the same time like you, when you hear the words like "solve the music industry," you, like it, that's 100 percent from the perspective of people who had been hemorrhaging money um, at the corporate level for, you know, the past 15 years um, post Napster, and I mean, I, I think the idea of solving music, to, I mean, music is the solution to so many things in the world, and uh, you know, it's the the iteration of the human experience for so many people that don't have any op- opportunity to do so through other means, and those like the reason the album format is going away is because we haven't solved music there. We've just created like a direct pipeline to corporate infrastructure from the talents of marginalized people. But like there is no storytelling happening at the same level it was. And it's because that COVID is a factor in this, but like those communities have kind of become fractured. Like there's, there used to be scenes like we're not going to have another grunge era. And so those communities kind of took to SoundCloud to build out these, you know, entire worlds of collaboration and, and uh, reinterpretation and all of these different things and this the way that SoundCloud was basically put in a stranglehold by uh, you know the RIAA and, and whatever um, kind of just caused those communities to go away. Um, so I don't think the music has the capacity to solve anything at, like at this point um, until the, the you know the human element and the connection is kind of reinvigorated that's kind of one of the biggest things that I hope audience accomplishes
0: yeah I was just gonna ask Roniel because you mentioned that you were an EDM fan I was wondering if the if if that's kind of your target first um group of musicians or if you see it kind of broader than that
3: yeah so I, I actually think Clayton can can speak to this pretty well too but um I think it for us it's really we didn't really have any specific target group. Um, we saw uh, Audius being being a place where you know any artist who wants to kind of vertically integrate, if you will, like own their distribution and and own their audience uh, to to be able to do that. I think where we've seen the most traction so far has been in uh, kind of I guess what you'd broadly call uh, electronic music, and then in hip hop as well. Um, so it's it's sort of um, I think in both of those areas uh, the two things they have in in common are, are one they've often been marginalized by the traditional like music industry as uh, if if you could think about it that way so like there's a much higher percentage of independent folks in in those areas than there are in like say pop or or country or, or some other um, some other areas um, but also I think both both of those communities are like very uh, uh, kind of open to and willing to try new things. Um, and their fan bases are are willing to to come along for the ride with them, too. Um, so I, I think that's been really cool to see.
2: Yeah, I, I think that just based on my personal background, um, I, I co-founded a record label with Skrillix years ago. Um, so that community was kind of low-hanging fruit in terms of my personal network. But I also think that they take to Audius and they took the same way they took to SoundCloud because it's, a. I mean, dance, dance music is... Uh, I'll probably get flamed for this, but it's a much lower barrier to entry. Um, yep. In terms of like your uh, creation, right. like it, it's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, like as a musician, like you, like I mean, some of my favorite tunes of the last year are little more than a metronome. Like yeah. listen to a lot of techno, <laughs> um, you know. So it's like those those artists uh, have the capacity to create uh, a lot more. Um, they can fail fast and, and and get feedback quicker. And also, being that it's literally electronic music, there's already a certain native element to the internet and, you know, uh, just the use of digital tools. So I think that's why it was manifested. Our audience was manifested in that genre really quickly, but the same goes for rap. I mean, uh, sound like the SoundCloud rap sound is, you know, kind of uh, typified by poor recording in many cases. Um, and that's not to, that's not to say that it's not amazing. And some of the best music of the last, I mean, some of the best music of all time is created with very little means. Um, but I think that that those two are kind of flocking over now just because, um, they're able to create, uh, music at at a huge clip and then also engage with an audience around that music, improve upon it, and then, you know, reinvest in themselves and continue to,
1: to create. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I want to I want to touch on something that Ronil said earlier because uh, I actually think that it's it's very uh, very important to stress maybe for those who aren't super familiar with with some of the stuff that's been mentioned, um, namely this idea of platform risk. Right? Um, a, a few years ago, I, I won't give the whole spiel on this because I think I have done on the on a previous podcast. But a few years ago. I worked on something or a project uh, it with with a few people from Consensus and so on and so forth. And one of the discussions we'd had at the time um, was the idea of potentially tokenizing SoundCloud. But the, one of the reasons being was that SoundCloud was having this kind of existential crisis, right? Like they were hemorrhaging money. They were seeking more uh, investment to kind of save themselves. And it also seemed that in their kind of attempts to Uh, transform the utility that that they created into kind of like a thriving business, they were taking away many of the features that made people like it in the first place, right? Um, And one of the great challenges of all that, of course, is the platform risk of, you know, what happens to all the audience that you've accumulated, all the, uh, basically all the history that has been accumulated on that platform if it goes down, right? Um, Can we speak a little bit more about like, Thinking about Audius um, as a decentralized kind of community-stewarded node-based network, how that maybe addresses some of the risk uh, uh, that that we see with the traditional centralized platforms. Um, because I think you know, beyond even uh, beyond even the ability for individual artists to to maintain their audience, it's also kind of a matter of shared history, right? This idea that um, you know in Uh, I mean, anyone, for example, who had a band on MySpace, we both did, and I'm glad nobody here ever fucking heard them. Um, But, you know, and and I've lived through a time where I was like, wow, all that activity has just completely disappeared and there is nothing I can do to recover it. Um, So can we maybe talk a bit more about this platform risk thing? Because I think it it qualifies your... um, your, your, your raison d'etre for want of a better term, um, really well.
3: Yeah. So, um, it, it really comes down to kind of community ownership and, and unpacking what that means. So, um, in Audius, like, all of the code that runs this network, that runs the client that you use when you go to audius.co and listen to music, or when you download uh, uh, from the App Store, the Audius app and, and go listen to music, all of that is open source and uh, uh, very liberally licensed. Uh, so the licensing structure there is such that, you know anyone can use that code to do anything they want. Um, but what's what's important there, I guess, is one, all of the code is open source, and two, all of that code is being run by the community. So all of the content that's hosted on Audius, all of the metadata that's being shared via Audius um, is all being kind of distributed across this network of servers that uh, folks in, in our community are running. Um, and yeah, there's this whole like uh, crypto economic side of this we can we can unpack uh, <laughs> uh, as well um, if, if that's interesting. But that's a whole, it's like a whole rabbit hole in itself. Basically, there's a way for the folks who are running these servers to earn some rewards for doing so, so that they can sustainably operate. Um, And that's kind of funded by the network more broadly. So what's really neat here actually is like taking a step back from all of that. A lot of people ask like, well, what is, uh, you know, Audius, the company's business model, right? What is the business model of like the, the group running it? And, and the short answer actually is like, there is no business model uh, uh, for, for the company. Our, our role is to, sort of help steward this community through these early phases of growth. Um, But ultimately, like the way Audius is set up and, and operated, like Audius will run forever so long as there are folks in the community that want to keep running it. Right, um, and I think that's a really, uh, a really, really important thing. So to this question of platform risk, kind of uh, of you know what does owning your audience mean, right? If the platform can go away and and take it away from you, right? And you know, Matt, to your point, like uh, so many artists started distributing digitally on on MySpace and then on you know on all these plethora of of different platforms, but uh, they come and go, and then every time they go, you have to start over again, right? And um, Our goal with Audius was to say, like, the company can go away, but this platform will live forever, so long as there are artists that want to keep sharing stuff on it and and listeners that want to keep listening and uh, so-called node operators want to keep operating infrastructure on it. Um, As long as those three parties are are still at the table, um, you know, this, this can, you know, we see this as as uh, uh, being kind of timeless or, or, or um, you know, having kind of no, there's no dependence on our company to to sort of keep keep this network operational.
4: And, and if I can build on that, what's also so interesting here is, you know, we, we could talk at length about how the, all these kind of node operators, uh, you know, host aspects of the network and how there are these crypto economics that underpin everything. And there, there's a lot there that we could unpack. But what's so interesting is that I think part of what, makes Audius unique is how we, at least right now, have abstracted away all of that from the Mm -hmm. end user. So you as a fan or you as an artist can come on audius.co, you know, use the music player. It looks and feels like SoundCloud or Spotify. You don't even necessarily know that there's this whole like decentralized set of nodes behind the scenes that are doing the hosting, that are doing the serving of the content, all this kind of stuff. Um, And I think that was probably one of our our kind of most, most important innovations probably in this decentralized music space. Um, of course, before audience there were a handful of other decentralized kind of networks out there that focused on music. But I think what made us so interesting and the reason why we've been able to sort of, uh, you know, start to get mainstream adoption, at least amongst kind of the SoundCloud audience and, and folks like that, is because we we treat this technology as a means to an right. end, right? Like at the end of the day, um, all, all the cool tech in the world doesn't necessarily mean too much if nobody's actually using the thing. So we're able to kind of like softly onboard people to this you know crypto decentralized sort of utopia that, that you know i think in the long term has much better end results for for artists and everybody else involved but we're able to do it in such a way that you can just you know easily onboard and think you're using a normal centralized product um from like the the, ender, the end user interface
1: a sheep in wolf's clothing
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah i think i and it really struck me when you were talking about how like no one can find your old Music on on MySpace. Um, I I similarly feel the same way. I have like a hundred beats that are just lost to the ether, and thank God for that. But what was cool about MySpace is that what was cool about MySpace is that like you know uh, it's it's kind of rote at this point. But like you know everybody talks about owning your masters. Uh, Audiences are huge advocates of owning your platform and and the audience, uh, or excuse me, the audience. Um, But also like those the hallmarks of like the growth of um, a musician and of a career and of a story are so lost on centralized platforms like like Spotify. Um, they're so top down um, and kind of soulless and faceless. Like one of my favorite things about what we're doing at Audius is the fact that like there's these little like um, we're able to kind of one of one of the coolest things about the platform, for example, is like you can see if an artist liked your remix, right? Um, and to me, that it it, it seems like insubstantial or, or a little bit arbitrary, but like. The idea of like being able to say like this was the day at this point my life changed because you know somebody heard like my favorite artist heard my remix and that motivated me to create more like the ownership of those relationships and, and the indicators of those relationships I think are were really present in MySpace because you could you know make somebody else a song your theme song on your page or whatever um, the ability to kind of own those relationships and watch the growth of somebody um, through the the content that they've they've uploaded. I think is really special and it's really, it's kind of impossible on um, on Spotify, for example. And it like, it. <laughs> I heard a quote the other day that, that kind of like made me sit down for a second and think and it was like, I think it was Basquiat said like, uh, we use art to decorate spaces and we use music to decorate time. Mm-hmm. And like, that's the cool thing about bad music is that, <laughs> is that like an artist, uh, you know, oftentimes you'll step like, like stumble on somebody on audius and you'll go back and listen to their first tracks and like they're unlistenable but then like you there's like this inflection point where you see where they got good and it's, it's pretty magical and um i think that, that that transparency in terms of like the ability to just be your full self for the, the entirety of your career until it, it matters is like really cool and really special it was one of the coolest things about soundcloud and um, that's gone away
0: yeah that's really interesting i feel like in there some people have talked about metrics a little bit that i kind of want to get into in a second but another kind of major platform risk is censorship which i feel like you've maybe talked about in the past how do how would how does that work how does your how does audius kind of prevent that kind of um issue
3: yeah so in in audius we don't prevent it so much as uh we kind of put the the power around that in the hands of the community Mm so um like audius the company is is not because of how this network is structured we're not uh able to decide like what content can and can't uh, uh be heard on this network right um but the community does have that power and and i can unpack like how how that works as well but um it, basically there's um you know I, I think there's kind of this uh philosophical importance which is like there's not you know our stance is not that there should be no moderation right Mm -hmm. like there's a lot of types of content that like you know none of us you know the type of stuff that's on like live leak or something right that like none of us would want to sit here and like (laughs) enable and and help uh uh, help be out there but like we should not uh be in a position as as the folks who who like built the early version of this thing to to be able to dictate what those guidelines are, mm-hmm. right? I think that's really the the key here. So um, where in Audius everything is community governed via the Audius token, um, like folks actually you know can can kind of vote on how moderation should evolve over time in Audius, um, and and that's something that like we want the the community to be in a position to decide for themselves um i think the the other interesting thing to unpack there is that um you know the the sort of censorship at the network level is different from censorship at the interface level right so audius has uh you know tens of of interfaces now um the first party open source ones that that we've put out are are uh you know eh, a a substantial portion of, of the traffic on the network but not uh, uh by no means the only source or even at, at this point i think the majority uh, i think they're they're no longer the majority so um you know there's kind of a there's there's different layers of responsibility there but um you know that's i think the the really the core stance that we wanted to take was that, you know, a small group of people at a single company should never be in a position to decide like who does and doesn't have a yeah. voice. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, uh, uh, by including the community in that process, um, you know, we together collectively can, can determine what are, what are the guidelines that we want to be enforcing on, on one another. Right. Um, you know, cause I, yeah, again, like my, sort of I, I think our personal takes on on this are uh one thing and we can offer those opinions right like i don't want uh you know like the the types of things that can only live on live leak to be starting to come to to audius right but like it's open source it's an open network if, if people uh, uh use it in in that way um it, it'll be really interesting to see how the community reacts and you know there's what we will advocate for and and that's a that's a totally separate thing from what the community may choose to do uh which is which is kind of really cool about it right like we don't even know uh uh you know how some of these things will play out because we're not in a position to make those choices
1: well this is actually pretty it's pretty interesting and and maybe like an instructive example because i think we all agree in a sense that moderation is great right like um particularly democratic moderation um but it's kind of an interesting kind of toy example to maybe explore a little bit because i think it also touches a little bit on some of the benefits of the data ownership model and the open source code right like so if you if if we, i were to put forward a scenario where i say that in three years time myself and the community around me are really really happy with the rails that you have built right we're really happy with our experience of audius however we're not super happy with this group of let's say people we disagree with vehemently on ideolo- ideological things. I don't wanna say what they believe, but we all disagree with them. At which point, you know, are we then able to um, take our data with us? Are we able to fork? Um, what would be options available in those circumstances? Cause I think even though it's a bit of a toy example, playing this game for a little while will help to illustrate for people maybe some of the benefits uh, to, uh, to your approach.
3: Yeah, and I think it is a really instructive example. So, um there are a few different uh, options that would be available, right? Like uh so, you know, everything from like kind of you know, I, there's this spectrum I guess of self-sovereignty here, right? And and that's really what uh uh kind of how you can characterize these these choices. Um at, at the one end of the spectrum you could uh, like at the most extreme end from a self-sovereignty perspective, you could actually you know, run your own node and run your own kind of version of this code uh, as well as like your own interface that, that runs against that. Um, and you could make, um, you know, like interdependence, audience fork, right? And like only the the content that uh, you all want to be hosting on on your node could be available there. Um, and and then the kind of gradations of of change, you know, uh, as you move along that spectrum are. Uh, You could actually produce an interface like that, um, that, you know, only surfaces uh, content from like a certain set of users or, or however you'd want to uh, do it, but still be pulling from the public network, from the broader network. So like at the interface level, you could be making choices like, you know, we want only these uh, uh, artists to be shown or or something like that. And some of the neat use cases there too, are like some labels, for example, uh, 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 have, have talk to us about like what if we could have uh, uh, our own like kind of you know version of audius if you mm-hmm. will right like if the content is available on the network but like what if you could go to you know xyz label uh, uh kind of interface of audius like it's actually a means too for uh, uh rights holders to be able to like have self-sovereign dis- distribution right so um i think there's a yeah there's this whole spectrum there where like you know forking the network is is possible but you would have to like run your own node and and do a lot of other things um and i i think i mean we would be really interested to see uh uh someone attempt to do that um but then going all the way up to the other end like you could basically just run your own custom version of of audius right because the code's all open source uh, custom version is in custom version of of the interface of the audius.co client right um so uh so yeah it, it's uh, and, and to your question on data portability, uh, yes, all the data that you share on on the public node network of Audius is portable and exportable and, and all of that. So, um, you know, you could just choose to kind of, you know, basically like exit the network, like take your data and, and walk away. Um, or you could even choose to like, you know, put that data into a node that you yourself are, are running.
1: Very cool. Very cool.
3: Uh, yeah, like from the uh, the node level, you could actually say you only want to uh, uh, service like certain certain interfaces. That's super um, interesting. Yeah, there's so there's kind of yeah, there are a lot of different like angles to this, and and I guess the the philosophy driving all of this to just take a, a few steps up up level, or, or just to enable choice at, at every layer of of the stack, but to make Logical default choices that most people uh, uh, would likely be happy with. I, I think it's it's kind of there's this constant trade-off, right, between how much complexity you're you're exposing to uh, uh, to the user at any given time, um, and where we fall on this uh, on that kind of question is that we want all of these choices to be available uh, to the folks who want to take them. But uh, for folks who don't care to like explore to that depth or, or whatever, like we want, um, uh, you know, there there to be some like sane logical ways to to go you know to go about like sharing content on on the broader network that don't uh, you know that don't require like a ton of pre existing crypto knowledge. Yeah,
4: and that's what's so wild here is that we've kind of designed this system in such a way that you know it really is sort of choose your own adventure. How far down the rabbit hole do you want to go, and how much do you want to be exposed to to all this you know crazy, complicated tech that, that goes on behind the scenes? Um, and we've even like built out you know as, as part of the protocol. There's a pretty easy to consume API, and so I think in kind of uh, a few years, I, ideally, we'll even see different versions of that user interface that the different people might build. So ours happens to look like SoundCloud or Spotify. Uh, but, you know, it'd be very easy to foresee somebody building something that looks like yeah. Pandora or, or you, know, uh, you know, some sort of like radio player uh, interface. There are a million different ways to expose these things. It's kind of like all the music is shared on the back end, if you will, kind of in air quotes there. But the front end can be designed uh, by, by anyone and, you know, in a myriad of different ways.
0: I was just going to ask how flexible that is. Like, is it, is it always tied to a kind of um, streaming logic? And is that streaming logic always a fixed price or is that also mutable?
4: Yeah. So the actual like kind of pricing of the streams is kind of a, a separate topic and we can definitely dive into that. But just to kind of answer the, the first part of that question, because uh, c- that is two different answers here. The first part of that in terms of what's exposed, essentially everything. Um, and so it's, it's kind of up to you as a developer, if you want to basically use this API and expose the music in different ways. So we even have folks that have kind of integrated Audius music into their video games. Mm-hmm. So we have like, you know, beat matching like music racer games where, you know, a top trending track on Audius is the, the song that you're racing through this environment, uh, you know, uh, beat match to. and like. There, there, there's all sorts of really creative ways that you can uh, you can start to use this stuff when you have basically an API to the world's music, and I think that's kind of the the long term goal here.
0: That's super
2: interesting. One of the, one of the ways that I describe it to people of a of a certain demographic is, um, and and this is like the fun thing about audiences is that like now we're basically uh, <laughs> like blue pilling uh, a huge community of artists who have no idea what crypto or uh, decentralization or tokenomics is, but. So like my job is to routinely make these ideas palatable. Um, So so like open API and all those kinds of things is is Greek to um, you know a bedroom producer from Louisville, but uh, I do find a lot of people resonate with the idea of (laughs) Winamp skins. If anybody remembers that era, like uh, there's actually an online museum. I think Renil actually shared it, but it's like you know hundreds of thousands of of Winamp skins, and that to me that was like the coolest part of you know my for into into digital music.
1: We must be almost exactly the same age.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking thinking probably so.
1: <laughs> no, it's it's a really good point because I mean this is, you know, one of the one of the uh, I mean one of the things I give you credit for in a sense is uh, I'm I am not a believer in a one size fits all, right? Um and I think that that, that extends, you know, just as readily uh, to a critique of current streaming platforms in terms of uh, the interface and the interaction, right? And the experience tends to be pretty one size fits all. Um, and also to, which I think is really worth getting into and came up just a second ago, um, to compensation, right? That you know, one of the arguments, and actually I'm paraphrasing Holly's argument here, um, we definitely fall into the, what, how I would characterize it is kind of like the large minority of middle-class artists. Um, and I say large minority in a sense, because when I look at like the current spectrum thinking about uh streaming services or whatever, you kinda have like the one percent which as far as I remember make uh something like ninety percent of the of the revenue, make up ninety percent of the revenue on something like Spotify. And then I, I would also look at say like there's also a, a large ninety percent of people who ultimately don't really care. You know, like they're they're pretty happy with say let's say Spotify as is, right? Because they're they're all they really want to do ultimately is take their music to the place where the most people have the potential to hear it. Right. Um, Which I think is a totally illusory kind of uh, illusory promise, but that's another point. Um, But where we stand in a sense is we're kind of in this like large, maybe like five to 9% of people where the per stream payout dictated by a central authority like Spotify determined you know, with the interests of certain major labels in mind and with the interests of, let's say, those top 1% of artists in mind really doesn't fit with what we do. Right. So whether you look at it on like a UX kind of experience level, or you look at it on just like a brutal economics level um, for album making artists, where for us, it's very important. You listen from song one to 12 and we make one every like three years. The whole per stream playout thing doesn't make any sense. Genuinely. It, it's like, it's, um, and the analogy that, that this is Holly's point, but the analogy Holly made was like, you know, can you imagine if uh, you paid, uh, you paid, you know, a fraction of a cent every time you watched an art movie, you know, like how much would the director of that art movie have any hope in hell to make from that transaction if it was done on a <laughs> per stream basis, right? And there's a lot of music that works like that, right?
0: Well it just incentive. I mean, it just pays more for music that fits with more moods, right? But that doesn't mean <clears throat> that we don't have really intense feelings or moods that don't need music to kind of match them. Like my, my the example I like is Trinity for the Victims of Hiroshima, which is like a really intense orchestral piece that I'm extremely happy exists and has changed me musically, but I'm definitely not putting that on during a dinner party. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're not
1: going to listen to it a hundred times a week or something. You listen
0: to it once and you gain access to the idea and then you're changed forever.
1: Yeah, exactly. And so this is more just to qualify one to like be a bit of a preamble to talk about uh, valuation and how you've approached valuation or compensation. Um, And number two, just to kind of validate this kind of anti one size fits all thing where, you know, Ultimately, you know, music is, is a very diverse, uh, a very diverse field. And, you know, when you speak to uh, music professionals, uh, you know, I would say that there is this, again, like very significant minority of people for whom the current logic of compensating music just really makes no sense. Anyway, so th- let's talk a bit about a bit about valuation and maybe also about the mutability of, of valuation in the network, because that's actually like a, 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 a something I don't know about Audius. I'm, I'm making assumptions here, but, um, you know, how mutable are those arrangements and what have you gone with in the short term with, with this kind of pilot that you're working with?
3: Yeah, so this is this is a really fun topic, <laughs> and I think uh, all three of us are going to have some strong opinions good, here, good. so I'm excited to get into it. Um, <laughs> Uh, but uh, uh, yeah, I mean the, the quick answer to you know how does this work in Audius, um, and uh, you know this answer is probably going to raise a lot more questions. Uh, we our, our, the goal of Audius is to create a free market for streaming. So that's not to say the network is is not uh, uh, should not be in a position to decide how much your music as as an artist uh, should be valued. Right? that's that should be up to you as, as the artist to decide um, and and uh, yeah I, I Holly I really like that example because I think it exemplifies like the way we hear a lot of artists thinking about um, uh, some of their content right where different types of content like you can actually change the experience of engaging with the content depending on how you price it right like if you price something as background noise people will treat it as background noise right but if you price something, at a level that is, uh, uh, you know, much higher, let's say, um, a lot fewer people may choose to listen to it, because again, it's it's a free market, but uh, the folks that do listen to it would likely do so much more thoughtfully, right? Um, so, you know, there's sort of a, a I guess, you know, f- extending this kind of philosophy of choice, um, artists have the ability to decide like on a per piece of content basis, or even across if they wanted to set, you know, pricing across their catalog to determine uh how content is priced um there would be like a network wide uh set of thresholds around one like you know what is the price above which like a user should be prompted to say yes before they play it versus <laughs> just you know it
1: getting oops
2: it
3: getting played. right so like right like if, if you want to charge uh like a hundred dollars every time someone listens to to your track you could do that right like i mean you could you could do that but um you know you're you're sort of like playing on a you know part of the supply demand curve where like likely there wouldn't be a, a very ample uh, uh amount of demand for for something at that price although who knows right like i think there's uh that's the coolest thing here is like we're really excited to see what new novel listening experiences artists can create when they control uh, uh pricing but like Even up leveling a bit further from that, it's not just pricing uh, that artists control, it's basically the conditions that determine who can and cannot unlock their content, like at a very kind of basal encryption, like network level. Um, So that condition could be a payment, it could be a subscription that is network-wide or that is specific to the artists. Um It could also be something like, uh, you know, if you're among like my top 1% of fans as an artist, you get to listen to some of my catalog that like other people don't. So um, just giving that power uh, uh, back to the artist um, and, and again, like doing so in a way that um, sort of, like while exposing that choice um, creates some like sane logical templates that that folks could follow. I think everything from, you know, some artists are interested in like building up kind of a a fan club uh, within Audius, right? Where someone could subscribe to the artist and get access to like some of their catalog uh, exclusively or access to the catalog in advance of when it becomes accessible elsewhere or, or all of those types of things. But what if you could also earn your way into that community, right? Like what if you helped promote the artist's content uh, to such a degree that um, you know you're, you're driving revenue back to the artist, uh, and you can like earn your way into that community rather than rather than paying for it. So, just exposing all of that choice, uh, but doing so in a way that um, you know kind of gives gives some guidance or, or help uh, on the artist side uh, uh, to to make some simple choices that that make sense, um, but then also on the listener side. Um, you know, kind of like making this a a seamless, simple experience, right? Um, Making it something that like you know, when you click play on a piece of content, if it's priced below uh, a certain threshold, like you don't you don't want to be asked every time, uh, uh, you know, you're you're paying a little bit to the artist, right?
2: That should just happen. So yeah,
1: very cool. I'm I'm gonna let someone else jump in for the argument, but I have so much to say on this. It's great.
2: <laughs> I mean, I think the simple answer that I that I, I always come back to is that like I I I do feel like music should be priced different because people are different. Um, and to say that one person, again, we're talking about the iteration of the human experience in audio, like one person's, uh, experiences are are different than another person's and the ability to customize the consumption and contextualize, uh, their own story is that ability has been completely removed from just about, uh, all consumption patterns in, in digital music. Um, and that's, what's so exciting to me. And like, like, also to you know to go like super left field like eventually there's going to be the ability to dictate like all kinds of exterior factors about how uh music on audience is consumed um we've toyed like certain people have approached us with the idea of listening only being able to listen to an album at a certain altitude <laughs> um and so that that like that to me is like one of the coolest things about this and i mean that as we tiptoe into the metaverse i i really do see as like the protocol for the, the audio experience more so than a streaming player. Um, and, and the value and being able to, to, you know, place value on a certain set of experiences that you're then um, kind of, you know, drawing your audience into is, is like the foundational uh, kind of factor there.
1: Forrest, the floor is yours unless, <laughs> uh, uh, cause I'm probably going to end up ranting for like 10 minutes on this point. <laughs> <laughs>
4: No, I mean, there's a lot to unpack there. And I think Roaniel and Clayton have both done a great job with it. But but I'll return to kind of my earlier themes, which is at the end of the day, um, this is all about artist empowerment. But it's so tricky because how do you empower artists, but at the same time make this like a sane user experience for a normal user? Um, So that's what's so tricky, right? That like we want to enable artists to do, you know, honestly, whatever the hell they want. Like if you want to be able to have it so that a certain song will only play above 30,000 feet if you're on a plane, (laughs) like that's really cool. But on the flip side, if you're a listener and like every third song like has some pop up being like, you're not at the right altitude, (laughs) like I'm probably going to bounce. So so there's kind of like a tension back and forth, right? So how do we, how do we kind of expose, you know, sane guidelines or sane kind of like uh, guardrails that that we would kind of recommend or what the community would probably recommend and then, you know, allow people at the fringes to kind of do whatever the hell they want, which is something that right now they don't have the ability to do. Um, So it's, it's, it's constant interplay back and forth.
2: Essentially, like, like my experience in the music industry is that, that in, in largely that we, we as, as people at Audius and as well as consumers and as fans, we regard all musicians as artists. Yep. And I think it's super important to acknowledge that for a large, large group of people, um, music isn't art to them so much as it is a means of changing their, their lives for the better, um, just due to like, the lack of access to all kinds of resources in America. There's a like hip hop came from uh, from not celebration, but also like is very much a means to an end. Yep. Yep. And so like the idea that the idea that that like we as um, a company decide that everybody you know is is a storyteller or that like everybody is uh, has this significant idea that they want to get out there is like it's very presumptuous yep, yep. and for many people that's not the case at all um and it's merely a means to an end but the, that said that like with that that kind of framework has been uh just the reins of that have been have been taken by the majors and by many many big stakeholders in the music industry to the point where now like people who got lucky are deluded into thinking that they're an artist when like Many like and Waka Flocka has talked about this a lot, and I've gotten into many Twitter wars about it. But like, <laughs> I think I think that like Waka basically said like I'm not an artist. Like I did this to change my life and to to you know help my myself and my family. And like all of these fucking armchair you know rap critics are like, no, don't. Say- how could he say that? Like it's like that's how he feels about it. And like the idea that like you could actually, if you know, if you have that moment and you have that you you strike gold and you're trying to change a situation. You have the hit that makes you $10,000 on Audius. And then you use that $10,000 to go, you know, invest in the the stock market or something. Um, And then, you know, like kind of take the value that you had created in that, that, that moment in time and do whatever you want with it, as opposed to having to sign, you know, a super high interest deal. And then now you're in the system and all of a sudden you're a rapper, but no one ever introduced you to the fact that like, maybe you'd be a great neuroscientist and you just never had the you know, the flexibility of the capacity to like, kind of explore those things with um, the value that you've created, um, maybe arbitrarily or, or maybe by intent, but I don't know. It's, it's, it, it helps you like the, the ability to have these different monetization kind of channels really helps me kind of unlock like the why of music in general. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It's pretty tangential, but I can I get, don't,
1: I don't think it is at all. Actually, I, I'm going to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna... to, I'm going to want to stick on this for a while, actually, for a few reasons. I mean, like, first off, one of the reasons I get quite annoyed when I hear, you know, that provocation at the beginning that music is solved, um, you know, one of the one of the really annoying kind of uh, bits of bits of collective wisdom that is is really wrong about that is also, oh, well, you know, music is solved because Spotify came up with this particular service. And that service is qualified by the fact that we know that people won't pay for music anymore and i'm like we don't know that actually because you know i mean the 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 app store is what 10 years old and since the advent of that artists who generally know their audience better than everybody else have not had the ability to experiment sufficient to test the assumption that people won't pay for music anymore, right? And so you have this kind of race to the bottom scenario where, as you say, on a streaming service like Spotify with very a very centralized mandate to produce a very specific kind of music for their for their ends, um, there's this kind of self fulfilling prophecy, you know, where artists are then incentivized to create background music that fits on showering playlists or whatever. And then afterwards they come back and say, well, see, you know, no one wants to pay for it. And I'm like, well, yeah, I think, I think it was you Clayton who mentioned this earlier. It's like, well, no wonder nobody wants to pay for showering music, you know, because it's showering music, right? That's what you used to listen to. That's what you used to put the radio on for. It doesn't really have that kind of value. Um, the, And 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 the ability for artists. So first off, straight off the bit, I'm actually um not knowing this about you all beforehand, I'm 10 times more enthusiastic about what you're building and I'm actually cutting off some of my more critical questions that I was planning on asking later based on, <laughs> no, genuinely, genuinely, based on the principle of what you just said. And actually, to be honest, I wish that was a bigger part of your messaging um, because I think that that point is a meaningfully distinct, it's a meaningfully discrete point if you think about, you know, the, the joke that Spotify for artists is right. The, the artist tools that are provided whereby they basically are like dangling some fucking stats, like just above your head that you can't quite see, you know, and they're like, Oh, maybe if you booked a flight to Mexico, somebody would turn up, you know, this is their, this is the the benefit that they give, that they give to you, you know, (laughs) um, the ability for artists to, to set their own terms. Um, and I also want to qualify this a little bit more. So not to, not to pat myself on the back or something, um, (laughs) But the entire reason I got into crypto was around about 2013, 2014. I built a decentralized publishing framework for artists, and the whole idea was conditional pricing and conditional uh, interactions. And so the basic idea was, you know, you could self-host, publish something. You would you would then receive um, you would receive information about where your work existed online, and you could price it differently dependent on its on its environment, right? So the idea being that. If the New York Times decided to post your music video, um, you might be able to charge them for it, or particularly if they were selling ads next to your music or something, you know? Um, And that was how I got involved in crypto in the first place, because all these kind of conditional elements, I mean, you're talking about altitude. I hadn't quite thought about that, but, you know, but there were all these conditional elements written into the interactions with the embeds, right? Um, And. That idea to me all of a sudden throughout the entire uh you, you know the, say the name of the project oh it's called saga I'll, I'll share it with you afterwards um but the but but Please. but that idea of of conditional interactions to me number one like made a lot of sense for exactly the reasons we've discussed right which is that um you know telling all artists what their pricing mechanism is is a huge limiter but number two because right. ultimately this this uh, appears to be a means for artists to be able to express themselves using the tools of the internet right because as as we have it currently you know the the only ability that an artist particularly even an artist with a team has is you know you post a song to spotify and then you post a video to instagram or or youtube or whatever you can't even connect those fucking things together because these places these things are all completely um uh completely completely siloed away outside of your uh outside of your ability and so I think that this kind of the the conditional experience uh uh is uh, is it, it's just this huge underexplored area um and i'm just very 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 excited to hear that that you all were thinking about that and i wish that that was on the front page <laughs> no I, I didn't-
4: on uh, it in a great way, there with, with kind of the siloing aspect, right? And that is something that I think a lot of artists have a lot of problems with. You, you post something on, on Spotify and then you have to promote it on Instagram. There's no interplay between the two. Like, you know, with, with Audius, like all the data's public, all this visible. We're not like holding back on, on these metrics or the, these stats. Like, what if we can just kind of be the backbone of the artist yeah. experience where like all the data flows to Audius and then you're able to view all that transparently? You're able to kind of merge the data from those different data sources. Um, I think there's a lot of interesting things we can do there if we're not being the gatekeepers holding back certain data because we need it for our business metrics, even if it hurts the area.
0: Is all of that data visible to every? Like, are all of the metrics visible to everyone or just to the um, person who uh, uploaded or contributed the, um, the whatever the file is that we're talking about? Like, could I go and look at another artist's metric and see... Yeah. What's going on there? Or can only that artist themselves?
1: Yeah. My song is five cents cheaper than her song.
0: No, not just pricing, but like, <laughs> well, I mean, not just pricing that kind of thing you could see anyways, but I mean like behind the scenes kind of metric stuff. Yep.
3: Yeah, that's, that's a great question. So, um, most of the data, yes, is, is actually like fully publicly accessible. This is an open network, right? So, um, uh the kind of you know certain types of data like if in uh, you know to be able to see them like everyone can see them right uh uh and and specifically it it gets a little bit technical i guess so i i i uh uh, i can go like as far as not far into the weeds (laughs) as, as we want here but um if you're an artist that uploads something to audius kind of doing the default flow, like you're hosting your content on the public network, which means that any data that you generate is also like publicly mm-hmm. viewable, accessible, et cetera. Um, we've even heard about some folks building like data mining tools on Audius to try to identify up and coming talent uh-huh. here, oh, right? Um, uh, and do So there's some really cool things, uh, uh, trade-offs there, even like folks building their own Track recommender uh, uh, models and, and things like that, because this data of like, you know, it, which listeners are listening to which things and, and whatnot is all kind of like public and, and open. Um, however, as an artist, if, if you wanted to run your own uh, node or uh, there are a few folks like working on hosting services in, in the audience mm-hmm. ecosystem to like host a node for you um, the node is where the data lives, right? So if you're hosting your, your, content on a public node the data is is public by nature right but uh, if you host your own node uh, you can actually kind of like you know kind of keep keep that data right everything from like you know which ip addresses are requesting content from your node uh that is a rough proxy for location mm-hmm. for example right. right you can start to see like where are people listening to my music um and if that's interaction is happening with your node uh there's no reason you know or, or there's uh, uh, sort of like you know there are mechanics that like you could keep that content uh, uh restricted or sorry that data restricted to just yourself
1: very cool yeah you should start Uh, yeah that, that's really interesting like the the ability well, I
0: kind of like the idea of it all being I mean I understand why some people would want privacy but I feel like music is such a manipulated market I kind of like the idea of big actors Being able to see yeah
1: yeah being able to see all the like the fake bts clicks
0: yeah and the, <laughs> the fake bieber clicks and like, <laughs> but i also understand yeah. privacy yeah.
3: <laughs> hey, yeah i guess it always it always comes back to mm-hmm. choice right if an artist chooses to want to maintain control they they can or if they if they don't want to they don't have mm-hmm. to it's also like
2: we've <clears throat> that, that sparks such an interesting idea to me that like like I think that if given the opportunity, many artists would like to prevent certain people from listening to their music. Yep.
0: Interesting.
2: <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And like that is that is just such a, like uh, that is such a, like, a profoundly simple idea, but it's totally um, it's never one that's been like really explored. Like I would I would, like I would think that for me I never want to hear Morrissey again, and that sucks. Yep. Um, but also like he, he probably feels very firmly that there are certain people that shouldn't be enjoying his music. Um, all goes back to choice, but uh, yeah. That's no, It's true.
1: And I mean, when you start thinking about protocols, that was actually one of the, the ideas behind the saga platform was this basic idea of saying, you know, that you, you being able to discriminate as an artistic choice, right. That in actuality, yeah. you know, it's one, I was approached by a few people in, in law afterwards because, There's been examples, for example, of like artists um, complaining, you know, if Donald Trump uses their song in a rally or whatnot, like what power do they have other than to send a cease and desist? Um, What power do they have? Um, Artists have fewer rights when it comes to embeds. Um, And so one of my contestations was saying, look, like, you know, I go out there and spend my own money to put this thing out on YouTube or whatnot. And then Mercedes Benz, who has a marketing blog, uh, gets to use that content for free, um, I don't know how much my value that day is contributing to their bottom line, right? And I have no protections uh, through embed law um, uh, uh, to, to discriminate against them. Um, whereas, for example, if you were to add conditions on top of that, one of the things I was exploring with Saga was this idea of saying, um, you know, this content is free for everybody unless it has been played, let's say 2000 times, at which point that is a decent indicator for me to assume someone's making money from it. Right. <laughs> Cause generally like the kid who posts the, the thing on Tumblr, they can have it for free. But if Mercedes Benz is using this as part of some kind of marketing, uh, marketing campaign, um, then I ought to then throw them a paywall or something like that. you know So giving people the ability just to, to discriminate in this case I mean again, you can think of horrible examples of people of people doing that but, um, but I think but I think it, it's very interesting also as kind of like a creative act.
3: Totally like I, I've even heard an example of uh, uh, you know an and artists in, in our community wanted to make a piece of content kind of like directed at or sort of expressing their their views and feelings on climate change and have it be only accessible in uh countries that are like at risk of being underwater in the next 20 years right like uh uh, as a way you know there's just so many so many different like creative dimensions that no one has been able to explore because you know artists were never artists have always uh, you know it seems like in in past platforms kind of been given this prescription right of like you know you upload your content here we'll pay you what we pay you. And, you know, we're not going to tell you how that works. And, you know, it's kind of this one size fits all like prescribed way of, of interacting. And, you know, we're, we're really trying to, you know, challenge that a little bit. Right. And, and say, you know, why, why do people treat uh, uh, artists with the kid gloves? And like, you know, it's like, it's like saying, you know, that they're, they're not smart enough to make these choices for themselves or, or something. Right. Um, but like, it, you know, I don't know, right. There's no, I don't understand why people seem to to think that way in, in the broader music industry. Like, I think, you know, there's so many... Uh, there are so many like valid, interesting, creative choices that just no one has ever had the power to explore.
0: Super interesting. I wonder if we could switch gears a little bit here, unless there was something else you wanted to say on this very no, passionate I, topic. I, for honestly, you. <laughs> I could talk about this for about
1: six hours. So let's move on before I. Um,
0: one thing that I would like to learn more about is the tokenomics of your platform. Can you? Can someone just explain to me how the token works here?
3: Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm happy to. So the token kind of has three primary pillars of of functionality it's uh security helping to secure the network uh feature access so uh certain features from from the artist's perspective uh require like staking of of tokens Mm -hmm. for example um and then there's governance so if you stake tokens uh to help secure the network or to help uh, or to to give you access to certain types of features or, or things that consume resources at, at the network level, um, you get to vote in in you know any and all changes that that get made to the system. So what uh, uh, you know we kind of it, it came up with this uh, or I don't I don't know if we came up with it or not, but it was the only term we could find to really accurately describe this. We called it like a platform token. Basically, it's this token that represents like. Control of and uh, uh, you know ability to have certain rights within the Audius ecosystem, mm-hmm. um, and uh, uh, yeah, so so that's like the simple answer. Um, the the kind of like the distribution mechanics here are are kind of very much centered around issuance. So there's. Uh, an initial supply of Audius tokens, a billion Audius tokens, um, and then that supply uh, grows over time via newly issued tokens. Um, so you can earn some of those newly issued tokens either by like running a node in the network or, um, uh, you know, in contributing content, for example. Uh, so there are kind of all these different mechanics that allow you to like, Earn some of uh, some of that issuance, um, but the goal with that was really that um, you know anyone should be able to come to Audius and and provide value to the network and, and be able to earn some, some, uh, uh, ability to control the network in return for creating that value. Right. Um, everything from curation to sharing of original content to operating nodes to, there, there are so many different ways that you can kind of like support this network. Right. And, and, uh, that's really you know the the token is is kind of designed to be earned and then you know once earned confers uh, a, a growing set of rights to to the folks that are holding and using it
0: interesting and you all decided to do like a token airdrop rather than going through the ico um, route can you talk a little bit about that decision
3: totally yeah um, I mean our our whole philosophy, right, is to be community uh, uh community owned and, and community operated. So uh, uh you know this was our um uh you know kind of you know with a lot of support from our, our community, our node operators, and and everything else. Um we uh, uh you know the initial. Like genesis event for the network, like basically the the creation of or you know deployment of the smart contracts, included uh, a very large amount uh, uh, of that genesis supply being distributed um, to all of the folks that had had accounts on Audius that were engaging with content that were uploading content that were uh, doing all these things right so um, there was actually kind of a, a formula that was able to um, be kind of run by the network to derive this like genesis distribution effectively um, and then uh, uh, basically distributed those tokens out to, to individuals so yeah it was really cool to see artists response to that too like we had I saw so many artists say like you know um this is this is the most that uh, uh you know their content has ever been like valued before in terms of like you know seeing <clears throat> seeing kind of like a uh actual like um you know kind of you know ability to to earn ownership of of this of this protocol this decentralized network right um uh, and And yeah, so like there's there's a lot more uh, uh, work I think for for our community to to do to kind of carry that torch forward. But we were really excited by, um, by how that kicked off. Um, so yeah, it was it was 50 50 million audio tokens distributed um, uh, to the top 10,000 accounts on on the platform determined by that formula.
2: Cool. And it's like, it was, it was a life. I mean, it was like a a huge professional milestone for me personally, after having struggled with so many artists that I've managed or that I've signed or that are friends um, who have never, ever felt valued by the platform, not only like not valued uh, financially, but like valued as a participant, like as somebody who like, without owning stock in Spotify is just literally a commodity. Mm -hmm. Um, So many people tweeting at us, like you guys changed my life, like in a, in a way that like, we didn't actually, I don't think we expected, but um, what's exciting is that like, that is just such a micro of like, a micro interpretation of how important this can be and, and how profound we hope it will become because, you know, like the, uh, that, that ability to affect change will be hopefully manifested very, very broadly among the entire community, um, like for many years. Um, but just to have that one like halcyon moment where like people woke up and and owned a piece of their new favorite music streaming platform was like, it was really fucking cool. Mm -hmm. That's why we do what we do.
1: Yeah. That's great. I wonder too. I mean, we were, um, it's interesting to see that the token supply inflates by 7% each year. We had uh, Sarah friend on from circles UBI recently. um, And I don't know if you're all familiar with that project.
3: Yeah. Yeah. It's super cool.
1: Awesome. Well, Well, for those who aren't, it's basically kind of like a, a, they uh, are airdropping a bunch of tokens and attempting to build these kind of webs of trust. Um, and the idea is that um, every month you get uh, a distribution of circles that you can spend. Um, and it's seen in a sense as almost being kind of like a community currency um, where you know it's almost kind of like the ability to pay for IOUs or any kind of local community currency. I forget the name of the one in, in Italy that we were bringing up. I don't remember. Oh god, I can't remember. Anyway, anyway, but one thing that was quite interesting about the circles um, uh, model, in a sense, was that they tried to inflate things sufficient that sufficient to the point where um, token holders or circles holders were heavily incentivized to spend them. Um, and I just wonder, you know, why the inflation exists uh, on your in your network, and you know, are there? mechanisms in place to kind of incentivize those people who do now own a share in that network um, to start spreading that cash around or spreading that those tokens around or uh,
0: Don't <laughs> call it cash. yeah, I'm being really careful.
1: I'm being really careful. Um, you know, or are there any mechanisms to, 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 to de-incentivize uh, kind of squatting? Hoarding. Hoarding.
3: So it's a fascinating question. Um, the, the way that the, um, The token is set up. Actually, the incentive is to to use it, right? Um, And and uh, you know, one of the ways of of using it, you know, is to stake on the operation of a node to be able to earn rewards from uh, from having that that node. For example, um, Audius, the token was not really designed as uh, as a medium of exchange. I I guess is sort of the the uh, uh, thing worth calling out there. Like, we don't want. Artists sort of ability to earn uh, uh, earn revenue from their content uh, should be in the form of like third-party stable coins right that's always okay. kind of how we've we've thought yep. about it so like artists need to eat yep. right yep. like <laughs> this this uh, uh, thing doesn't you know is, is not meant uh, for that it's it's meant to uh, get you know allow folks to earn uh, some ability to control their their means of distribution over time, right? If, if that makes sense. So um, we try to keep kind of the the uh, uh, financial aspects of Audius distinct from um, uh, the token. But ultimately, again, it's it's sort of the community's choice. Uh, uh, kind of you know I think it, it um, we have seen for example like someone uh, uh, posted an offer saying you know like I'll I'll help uh i'll help you master a track in exchange for audio tokens for example which is like very funny Um, uh so yeah there's all this like weird emergent behavior uh just because you know the thing exists it's out there in the world and and like we we ultimately can't can't control how uh how people do and don't use it so that's also the the coolest part right is like however people want to use it will end up becoming the emergent ways in in which it um you know like You know, people care to like if that creator uh, or that that um, uh, audio engineer who who wants to help folks master stuff like wants uh, uh to use his skill as a means to like you know earn earn some of those tokens from other folks in the community um you know that's that's uh, his or her choice right so I, I think it's it's gonna be really cool to see uh, uh how folks like think about this and how the uses um evolve over time
1: that's instructive because that that does bring up another question so so i i assume that the the payments will be managed there'll be like a die integration or something like that so that uh so that, yeah, people can get paid in something that resembles, uh, the currency in the country they live.
3: That's, that's exactly right. Um, and that's also, I think really important from like the usability perspective, right? Like, um, you, you know, you should be earning value in exchange for, uh, uh for your music in something that is kind of like value stable in a way. Right. Um, and, and, uh, well, I, I guess I shouldn't say you you should like it's um I think we'd want to allow folks to have the choice of whatever uh you know whatever token thing they want to be paid out with they they could be paid out with but again the defaults here are are um you know are are important I think so um uh so yeah the um you know the it, the the sort of the way this would work is internal to the Audius network, what we envision the the community kind of rolling out over, over coming months as monetization um, goes live is uh, basically a... Kind of, you know, a, an internal kind of medium of exchange, like a a kind of allow listed set of uh, third party stable coins that can be used to transact um, internal to to Audius. Um, but at the at the edges, right, like when folks are loading value in or pulling value out, um, you know, they could they could choose to withdraw that however they want, right? Um, uh, using, I, I don't know if you all are familiar with like 0x relayers, for example, or, or some of these other other things, like, is actually quite trivial to just, you know, if you're still in like crypto native land uh uh to switch things between um uh different different tokens right so um uh to to what you mentioned earlier you could even imagine someone saying uh you know i'm in the eu i want like euro uh, uh euro denominated stable coins coming out um uh the other side right i think there's you know that that choice exists but uh, that choice can be made on on the edge, rather than by uh, by the network, I guess. I
0: have kind of a boring question that we might delete, but I'm just personally curious. How does how does it work when you have a label that kind of co-owns with the creators, um, according to certain terms, like a large catalog of music? When the price isn't fixed, how wh- how do you kind of negotiate contracts with those rights holders?
1: Yeah, asking for a friend.
0: no I mean I'm just I'm just curious I don't know if our audience will like want to know this kind of like minutia but I mean that's just been one of the biggest problems with Spotify it's like these insane negotiations between the, the major labels and between the kind of like um you know major indie kind of Merlin group or whatever you know that have taken so much time to negotiate but that was for like a very fixed we agree to this specific price so when the price is kind of so flexible and you have so many actors involved yeah how do you handle that
3: so is a really uh, uh interesting question because we we actually don't handle it right like are we're not in the business of of uh or I mean I guess I also already said you know Audius is, is, is the company is not a business in the traditional sense but uh we are also not in the in the business uh, no pun intended of negotiating uh deals on a one-off basis with folks right uh the the network does what it does um so if if a label chooses to want to distribute content within the network they are welcome to do that um under whatever terms they deem fit in the same way that like any artist can set their terms right um so so it, it is really truly a, a free market in that sense um because like you know our our uh, us as the team that that built the first version of of this and put it out into the world we actually don't have the ability to like set network-wide parameters like what are what is the payout rate to so-and-so and and like does so-and-so get a better cut than you know the the average or something right like we actually just don't have the ability to do any of those things right um which i I think is uh uh you know really it's really important right like uh we saw recently where um uh, where Spotify started to offer like a promotional rate, right? Like if you're willing to get paid less for your content, uh, they will kind of help promote you, right? And like, that's just so wrong on so many dimensions. And I, I don't even really want to, you know, get get into it now un- unless other folks want to, but like- Oh, we can. <laughs> Just, yeah, just, just taking a step back, like, you know, a platform should never be in a position to even like make choices like that. Right, that's what's like philosophically so wrong with, uh, uh, kind of the current, the current sort of regime in in these ways, right? Like Daniel X should not be able to decide how valuable your music is and be able to like toy with how much people are able to see it based on you know how much you're willing to pay them, right? Like it's just there's just a lot of issues with that and and uh, uh, the way Audius is set up actually, like we you know so. Long answer, uh, uh, I guess, Holly, to your question, but like, yeah, basically we don't, you know, we don't and we can't uh, uh, negotiate like one-off deals like that, right? Um, Our job is to educate the world on like how you can engage with these tools and use them to Kind of own your distribution of of content, right? Um, but owning your distribution also means, um, you know, like you you control it, right? We we don't. So um, that's that's kind of the neat uh, the neat part of this.
0: Okay. So quick follow up to that. I'm finally kind of like it's becoming clear to me what all how all this works. <laughs> quick follow up to that is how do you verify that someone who uploads content um, is is the creator that of that content? Yeah. yeah.
3: Yeah, it's a great question. Um so it is a free and open network, right? Um which means that like at at the network level, um there is no sort of like you don't have to like take some some test or or something to prove uh, that you are who you say you are. So, uh, the way that the network kind of resolves issues of of abuse around this is is sort of twofold. So, like you know, kind of getting back to our moderation discussion at, at the beginning of of this um, of this podcast, um, nodes on the network, uh, you know, can can choose. To host or not to host any content they they like, right? Um, which actually means extending that uh, there's there's a mechanic um, to kind of give notice to a given node if you're a rights holder that the node is hosting content that is controlled by by you as as a rights holder. Um, separately from that, like interfaces can choose or, or clients, you know, uh, whatever term you want to use to to refer to, to them, can choose to show or to not show uh you know any any content they deem fit. So um I think this is just kind of one aspect of the broader discussion of of moderation um but uh it is it is an important one right and and uh you know a- again like Audius is in the business of helping uh artists and the rightful owners of of content um you know whether that's the artist or like a label or someone else uh, we want like our our intent is to help them get paid more, right, and to to control uh, uh, their means of distribution, uh, not not the opposite. Um, and I think you see that intent shown in in the choices that uh, have been made with respect to uh, how moderation works and and some of these other things.
2: I was going to say, I think about it as um, in terms of that moderation and community moderation is something that's definitely front of mind for us, as as it is for a lot of other platforms. Um, Right now, especially like you know, um, I think Twitter and, and Facebook and all of these other things are having these issues because there's there's no spectrum of, of moderation. It's it's extremely polar, right? Um, and that leads to people being deplatformed unjustly. But it also leads to uh, you know unhealthy networks in terms of the content that that it is has greater like geopolitical, social implications. So I think we've effectively proven as a society that that <laughs> platform moderation. Um, from the, the platform level has absolutely failed us as a, as a society. Um, and it also has, you know, similarly has affected the relationship with the fan. It's so top down. Um, and right now when, when musicians have absolutely, extremely limited c- capacity to, to interact with their fans um, in quarantine and things like that, like there's so many other relationships that fans are building with artists and content creators that they love and that they're absolutely willing to pay for. Um, Twitch is a great example of that. Um, Discord's a great example of that too. Um, like these these places where like there's, you know, one-to-one interaction with people that they, they really love and and have proven that they will absolutely pay to, you know, have to pay for that interaction and for that relationship and have reverence over the the health of those conversations. So like, again, this is all hypothetical because in forests don't kill me, but like, um, i I hope at some point I hope at some point that like there is you know armies of super fans uh grooming audience and and helping decide uh rights management issues and things like that um like so that they can prove to their favorite artists that like you know they're they're uh, really looking out for them and they they care so much about this relationship that they're willing to go say like oh well, there's a you know remix over there um like this split should be decided thusly like that is like there's so many multitudes of the, uh, of that relationship. And it's so cool to think about being able to kind of um, place value on, on uh, that fandom. Um, so again, it's hypothetical at this point, but like, and as it's been made very clear, the network will do what it does, but um, it just, it, it, it just unlocks a whole other kind of interaction um, that I think is, you know, very valuable to all the rights holders and, and stakeholders in, in the industry.
1: Yeah, it's, it's also interesting because I've noticed, I mean, even with the, um, uh, am I correct that you all, we don't need to go too much into this, but you and um, I think a couple of, of other friends have all been experimenting with this idea of um, uh, tokenized access to Discord communities. Um, oh, Yeah. Where we if have, you yeah. if you hold uh, audio token, you're able to basically enter into a private conversation with other audio hold- holders.
4: Yep. Yep. Exactly. So that that was kind of like the first of, of many features that, like, uh, essentially from within the Audius product was kind of enabled uh, if you if your account had audio. Exactly. You could basically prove to this little Discord bot that you hold uh, audio tokens, and then you were able to enter like a, a private channel where it was you and other audio holders that could could chat. And I think that has like much larger implications right like what if we could figure out ways to gate that even for a particular artist um this is something we've been talking to 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 a few of our artists about like even running like remix competitions and perhaps um you know there's some way that the system can help you so that if uh you're trying to run a remix competition with your fans when a fan uploads a remix then the system can see yes look this is one of the 15 or 50 or a hundred people that have uploaded a remix. Now they have access to a special channel where just the remixers can, can talk about some feature.
1: Yeah. To- it's like token ticketing kind of, you know, you're like, which makes a lot of sense, I think. Cause again, it's, it, I wasn't even arguing. I think I was arguing with myself earlier thinking about this, but it's like it, it, in a weird way, what's kind of nice about this in the sense is a lot of it is very low barrier exclusivity, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's like, yeah. again, the, one of the, 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 the premises of kind of the platform economy that like I, that really rubbed me up the wrong way is this idea that all exclusivity is bad. Um, whereas of course yeah. it's not right. Because exclusivity. I mean, you need some, some scarcity in order to generate value and have people pay for things. Otherwise, you know, a, uh, 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 and also people like exclusivity. People like to be part of of special groups of characters. This is where scenes come from. Totally. Yep.
4: Yep, absolutely. And there are all sorts of kind of crazy things that you can think about. Um, there's, yeah, essentially this like nightclub, velvet rope sort of uh, scenario that can get created via like, you know, Discord bots and things like that. Um, which obviously signals kind of exclusivity. But then there's also things like, what if a, a particular track is uploaded by an artist could only be listened to 10 times? And maybe you know those 10 people are the super fans of that artist or all sorts of very interesting
3: things you can do there. Absolutely. Like the, the digital version of what Wu-Tang did with that
2: album, you know? Right, right.
1: <laughs> Except you don't, you don't go to jail if you buy it. <laughs>
2: you don't give it yeah right.
1: well,
2: <laughs> pro, pro, pro tip don't be martin screlly in general yes. um yeah.
3: if anything though it, made it even more valuable right if you think about it like now that, it has such oh, a definitely. story like the yeah, justice totally. department owns it or
2: whatever right like <laughs>
1: yeah it's definitely antiquity there
2: that's so true though that, like that again i always use the the term story but it's like there is value there's value in experience and being able to like like kind of like the ability to technologically facilitate different experiences around music is really at the core of all of this. And I think that's so fucking cool. Like you mentioned, for example, uh, you, you were, you referred to an NFT as a, like a digital ticket. Um, I mean, ticketing is, was the first use case. I advised a startup years ago, um, because I I was so compelled by this idea the first use case for, for Ethereum for me, was like, this actually would solve so many issues in ticketing in terms of the secondary market and all of these kinds of things. Um, But like the issue that that company and so many others have fallen into is that they don't, that event ticketing isn't, uh, especially in reference to concerts, it's not a, it's not a ticketing It's not a ticketing business. It's not an access business. It's a real estate business. So now we're seeing all of these, but now like, you know, I think COVID kicked down the door on that industry in such a real way that like, those ideas can now actually start to be applied in digital spaces and people are, it's pal, it's a palatable, understandable, relatable experience now because we've been doing it for seven months. It's pretty fucking cool. Sorry for swearing by the way. I swear all the time.
1: No, that's fine. Don't worry.
0: Only my mom complains. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> No, I really like that you keep using this word story as well as subculture because I do feel like that, this project enables that in a way that these kind of like one size fits all solutions really don't. And that's, that's kind of where we come from, from subculture, thrive, thriving subcultures, <laughs> thriving subcultures in meat space. But it's really nice to see this, um yeah, kind of thought through in, in the digital space as well.
1: Yeah. I, it's funny. I mean, so my next question um is, and I hope it isn't too direct, you know, how does one get someone to use this the 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 issue being and I think this speaks a little bit to to some of the the discussion we were having earlier the impression I'm getting is that both Ranil and and Clayton were on this side of you know we're we're we have all this kind of crazy potential for experimentation around here and Forrest you were emphasizing which I think is also a very accurate point that you know in a sense the first thing you encounter when you, C uh, Audius is something that you're very familiar with, right? And that there is there is some danger in kind of dazzling people immediately and then asking them to get a MetaMask account and staking and da da da, right? <laughs> and so, h- how do you how do you strike a balance? Because because the one if if I if I had a critique, what and, and I say this as someone who was on the board of Resonate for for a period of time um, and worked on that project quite a lot at, at its inception. um, my gut says and with a a degree of experience that you know because the vast majority of people don't care and just kind of want a banal listening experience um, and because the vast majority of artists will always kind of follow where the audience is sadly we live in kind of like an audience-led music economy now which once was an artist-led music economy and I lament every day Um, but how do you draw people over and meaningfully differentiate yourself enough to communicate to them that what you're doing is entirely different without simultaneously also confronting them with this alien spaceship that they don't know what to do with. Right. (laughs) Um, Does that make sense? Cause, cause there's, there's another argument that says, you know, if, if I'm like uh, my uncle who doesn't have a fucking clue about any of this stuff, and then goes on the page and is like, well, this is spot. This kind of like looks like Spotify, but there's fewer artists on here. You know, like, how do we, how do we bring those people over?
0: Sexy interfaces.
1: Well, yeah, I, mean, I, don't, I have some answers. I'm sure they do too, but I've got, i am going to ask a question. You know, No, and I think it's a, it's a great question.
4: Right. And it's, it's one that is kind of core to, to what we've been working on for, for now almost three years. Um, I, I, I mean, is is this. The short answer is, how do you solve this? And, and, and you know, very carefully with, with a lot of thought. I think there's <laughs> a delicate, delicate balance you play here. Um, you know, I think a lot of the problems that kind of the crypto community historically have had was, was frankly kind of a naive assumption that if you build it, they will come. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I think to a certain extent, like crypto and decentralization, um, you know, to a certain extent, it's almost a means to an end, right? Like you don't know about TCP, IP, HTTPS, any of these like crazy backend protocols that are used to secure the web, um, but you still use it when you sign into Facebook or Instagram. And so I think it's on us to, to whatever extent we can kind of paper over those rough edges from user experience perspective. Um, and I think, I think it's kind of from a product perspective, sort of naive or, or short-sighted to assume that you know, come to Audius, the website and like, oh, go read this Medium post first. It's only 600 words. It'll just take you 20 minutes. And after you're done reading the blog post, <laughs> then come back to us and we will understand how this works. Like, I don't, think that's, I don't think that's fair for the end user. And I think that's historically what this industry has done a lot. And so what we had to do was like, you know, it's on us to put in the hard work to, to handle the, those edge cases for folks rather than, you know, forcing that on a normal bedroom artist to, to understand all these sort of things. Um, and so I think that's why you know it took us a better part of 18 months to to have a beta product that we launched uh, about a year ago, but when we did that um, and we launched it to the world via like a TechCrunch article and things like that, we had an outrageous amount of demand, um, frankly, and it it didn't come from the crypto community; it came from the artist community. I think that's what's so valuable and that's what's so important about what we're doing is that you know crypto is, is powering everything, but it was, it was normal artists that had gotten deplatformed or censored or felt like they couldn't build a fan base on SoundCloud anymore. Those were the folks that came over it and started building on Audius, not um, you know, the handful of like crypto native artists, if that makes sense. Because yep. frankly, like we'd rather be a, a small fish in a big pond than, than a big fish in, in a small pond. And mm-hmm. I, think, I think that's kind of what this looks like long-term is how do we, how do we build a product that everybody can use But then, like I mentioned earlier, do sort of a choose your own adventure and let people go further and further down the rabbit hole, enable these cool features. You can opt into like exclusive velvet rope, uh, you know, fan clubs and things like that. But, you know, whether we like it or not, the vast majority of people just want to listen to cool music. And how do we how do we make that as simple as possible and and make that experience as good as possible while still building in these these very complex interactions?
3: I also wanted to add on this, uh, uh, Matt, to your question, like there are, I I just pulled up our dashboard for today. So like all all of the usage of Audius is public. Like anyone can, can go look, uh, 1.4 million people have, uh, used Audius in, in the last 30 days, uh, 1.4 million unique people. So like, I think we, we are, um, you know, we're, we're still small, right? Like we know, uh, how large, um. Spotify and and SoundCloud's like monthly usage is, but uh, Audius has only been out in the world for for a year, right? So I, I think it's actually it, it's been kind of neat to to actually see some of these uh, uh, theses that our team had you know multiple years ago starting to to play out in practice. That I, I think artists are uh, uh, actually you know put placing a premium of value on the choice that that Audius gives them. And that's what's so wild is
4: you know I think at this point we're, we're far and away the largest consumer decentralized app that, that, that's ever existed, you know? So, <laughs> yeah. so, so I mean, but, but it's because the majority of our users don't know that they're using a decentralized app, yes. right? Mm-hmm. Like you shouldn't use Audius because it's a dApp instead of an app. You should use Audius because it has the best music, it enables artist empowerment, all these sort of like, um, you know, results rather than the tech that was used to build it. And, um, you know, I I think what's actually interesting here is, you know, we have 1.4 million monthly active users right now, and that's that's growing pretty fast. And I think what that turns into long term is potentially we are the on-ramp for non-crypto people to start using crypto applications. So I think we can actually kind of give back to the larger crypto ecosystem. And I I think there are probably these great knock-on effects that, that, you know, normal bedroom DJs DJs using a crypto app will, will have on the broader crypto economy and crypto ecosystem.
2: I would, yeah, I mean, I was just—I was just going to say, like, the what has been so masterfully created by the team at Audius that like anybody who is, you know, experienced a digital music player immediately understands how to use it and what to do. Um, but I'm kind of like the second layer touch point for all of these for all of these people after they they used it and then they come to us or our team or me personally, and, and I I have the very unique pleasure of describing to them why, um, like, why this is important, why it's different, and. I really love like, and you know sometimes those conversations are 15 minutes because people are just like which button do I push to like upload something and I'm like well I, yeah. I can, I can ep- absolutely walk you through that but when they start asking the why is when I feel like you know we have we have like real fans like the community that the sports audience is are like you know the core uh, discord community all those people they have now kind of scratched past the the initial, um, you know, glossy coding and understand that they're like hugely broad, like social and like, you know, there's hugely, uh, important and profound implications of the idea of un like uncoupling or rather unwinding massive power structures, um, across all kinds of different industries. And that's when I get like super excited. And that's when people also light up, um, and you kind of convert them from like, you know, just an artist or a listener to like, you know um a proponent of decentralization in general and like like forrest mentioned like the idea of of this being the first uh touch point for the like their long journey down uh (laughs) their their long journey towards marxism um (laughs) is like it's it's so exciting and it's really really like i i consider it like one of the my great Pleasures of my career.
0: But I also think that when artists have more freedom to kind of design the interaction with their work, I think they will be artists about it and they will come up with interesting new ways to interact with their fans that will be more interesting than a kind of very boring um, uh, preset um, Spotify template. Um, and I think oh. that will also drive. Um- well,
1: that's the goal, right? In the sense is that, I mean, another challenge, because of course there's, there's, we haven't even talked about, and it's probably too much to get into, um, you know, how one might or what kind of prompts or guide rails uh, could be made to allow for non-technical people, for example, to be able to make discrete decisions about the economic relationships that they start with people. Um, but I think it, it follows or it makes a lot of sense that, in a scenario where you have a hundred or a thousand artists experimenting with different kinds of relationships with people, you will find that five or 10 of those stick around and five or 10 of those ultimately end up being mimicked by other people. Right. And so that's, that's again, the hope of something like this, the challenge being that, you know, on the one hand, as you said, Forrest, I think you're totally right. Like, you know, uh, this this is an opportunity to to present people with something it's it's kind of like allow them to dip their toe in the water and you don't want to dazzle them with something too uh too too fine detailed however at the same time i think it's <clears throat> it's almost like i could see the floodgates really opening when you start seeing you know <clears throat> 10 to 20 people uh doing things that no that could not be accomplished on other platforms and other people thinking huh you know like i want a piece of that
0: well, it's also competitive. Like if of one artist does something insanely cool with their, yeah.
1: And it's working. With their you know, interaction. Yeah. I mean, and the thing is, of course, the, the benefit, I don't know if you saw this. I, I, I retweeted, there's, there's this uh, a producer or artist in the UK yesterday who is very young and it's very sweet. Um, but he was posted this uh, 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 tweet about how, why he did a, an exclusive physical release. Did, did any of you catch this?
0: It went kind of viral on Twitter. It's
1: really cute. But he was like, you know, if you think about it, I sold 25 CDs and I made 400 pounds. I would need 100,000 streams to make 400 pounds. (laughs) Maybe everybody should just sell CDs. It's this really cute moment (laughs) where you're like, you see this penny drop. But to him, it's an innovation. You know, he was like, I've figured it out. All I need to do is just restrict access and only sell to people who are willing to give me 15 for my release you know and i'm like it's so upside down to anyone older than 20 but it's it's kind of beautiful to see
4: yeah yeah totally right and and i mean what like to, to kind of combine those two what if Audius could be the marketing channel there where he builds a fan base some of his content is available for free he gets like super fans and then he can use that as a way to sell the album to the super
0: fans yep. exactly,
1: yeah exactly yeah yep yep
0: yep very cool well, Audius is much more interesting than I, I mean, I didn't think that it was this interesting, but it's Careful. much, it's much deeper and more interesting than I initially understood from just the the general website.
1: But I think, yeah, but I think that's good feedback, actually, because, the I, you know, I mean, I read, I read the white paper and some of the kind of like governance principles and you know, and obviously interacted with, and and I don't want to also minimize the accomplishment of actually making like an app that works in browser, uh, externally and on the phone. I mean, like you've done a lot of work to do this. And I
2: was also going to say, like, this is just an opportunity to shout out our mobile team. Um,
1: it's like <laughs> in terms of getting people,
2: getting people to use the platform, like you would think that SoundCloud long, long ago would have been like, maybe we should make an app that actually works on phones, which are where 40% of uh, our traffic yeah. is coming from. Um, and the, the the Audius mobile app is just incredible. It's so beautiful. And, like, that's that has been a very easy sell to a lot of people just because, for whatever reason, SoundCloud just fumbled that and continued to.
1: Yeah, I mean, they're so conflicted about what they even are. It just feels like a matter of time. I mean, the SoundCloud founders are, have left now, right, and they're doing a bike startup?
3: Uh, I, I, know, I didn't know about the bike startup. That's funny. But yeah, I think, uh... <laughs> the uh, um, I, I think uh, Alex left a few years ago now and then um, uh, I think it's Eric right the the uh, other co-founder, I think left more recently, but yeah, oh, and it's interesting to see right their business model is kind of becoming like you know charge artists, charge listeners or show listeners ads. And then, like, pay all of that to the labels for the most part to make their minimum guarantees. And it's just like, uh, there's kind of like no money left for them after all of that either. So yeah. it's not like, it's just like not working for, for anyone, you know. Uh, Sifian, it's, it's...
1: I think, is the term, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so
4: well, that's what's so wild, right? Is that like literally no other UGC user generated content platform on earth will charge like the content creators to upload the content. It'd be like you having to pay YouTube every time you put up a video or having to pay Instagram a dollar for every post you made. It's kind of insane.
1: No, I think, I mean, uh, this is, it's kind of mad, but like my, uh, my Spidey sense at least says that they were shaping up for an acquisition and that they were untouchable because of the amount of copyright infringing material on their servers. I definitely heard that from, from different sources where like people were interested in potentially acquiring them because obviously they have a huge user base and like it's a it's a story of the last decade or whatnot um but through not having those protections in place the challenge is, is that if anyone were to acquire acquire soundcloud right like all that copyright infringement would all of a sudden then become potential lawsuits, right? Like, nobody wants to take them to court at this particular point in time because they haven't got any money. But if, like, Google were to buy Sandcloud or Amazon or someone were to buy Sandcloud, like, you would start seeing just lawsuit after lawsuit after lawsuit. So they're kind of just in this between a rock and a hard place. And, like, it makes sense to me, maybe. Didn't they, They like, hired the ex-CEO of uh, Vimeo or something? Um it would make more yeah, sense. I think
3: that's right. Yeah.
1: It it would make more sense to go down like the Vimeo route, where it's like, okay, like SoundCloud is your, you know, professional demo exchange, you know, like backend interface for uh, audio professionals or something like that. Like it seems like it, you know, That's the only th- service that they could ultimately have people pay for.
3: I think the uh, like the creator tools angle they're they're starting to go down is is yeah. interesting as well, right? Like being able to kind of become, yeah, if you're already having, like, creators, you know, have a paid engagement with you, like, you can just flesh out more tools to help them, right? Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, what a world we live in, right? Where, like, uploading to SoundCloud can also put your music on Spotify now, right? Like, you, you know, we <laughs> never would have guessed that, that would be the direction they would go in, uh, you know, five or, or seven years ago, right? Um, but uh, uh, it is at least, like, there's, a like, a viable business that can exist there is just a weird it's a weird combination with like the streaming uh uh kind of service right and and i think to your to your earlier point matt i think they're just a little bit confused about what they are right now are they creator tools are they consumer streaming are they uh um i don't know marketing exposure whatever you want to call it for artists right like it's it's just unclear
2: i was just gonna say the the, (laughs) the doing it for the exposure thing has been you know, a core tenet of the entire relationship between artists and, and SoundCloud. And it's, it, I mean, they did drive up a massive amount of value and they were, you know, it's a, it's, I think they're, it's a $700 million company and like uh, Liberty Media, who owns Pandora and Sirius is now the primary stakeholder. And it's like all of those artists that gave SoundCloud content never saw a dime from it. They can't even buy the stock on a public market like they can with Spotify. Um, so it's almost like that, like the, the, you know, the, the creative trope of like, do it for the exposure, like, to, you know, to an infin, infinitesimal degree, it's, it's kind of horrendous.
1: Yeah. And it, it, and this is the thing is like, I mean, whether it be, you know, the, the protocol you're putting in place or, or something else, it just feels to me like, you know, okay, we get a redo. That was obviously a huge mistake, you know? Cause like, what a fucking waste of time that this entire community was being built you know, I mean, it'd be very interesting to think of like uh, clever ways to be able to, I don't know, scrape information from SoundCab profiles or whatever. It's like, I always wondered that like, would you be able to, you know, how you can do like certain domains are held aside for certain people so that nobody goes and buys like, uh, Mm -hmm. nobody gets like spotify.com slash Madonna or whatever. Um, I wonder if, 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 if there's, there's some kind of a way to like, try and ambiently discern what an artist community was based on the SoundCloud information and then just basically attempt to clone that <laughs> and have people like give people incentives to, to move over um because it's just it's just such a waste you know and 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 we can't i, I don't know it it feels so futile to like um it, it would feel so so futile to like start populating another platform with there being the kind of platform risk involved that we that we should have learned from I mean, honestly, prior to SoundCloud, but but yeah,
3: yeah, it's a uh, it, it's a really interesting kind of uh, uh, direction to start uh, to start thinking down because I, I think you're you're totally right there. Like, um, it it just you know we kind of have to rethink the relationship between um, kind of users and and their platforms. Uh, otherwise, like you know, we can expect the same results to happen, right? Which is like, platform starts small uh, uh build up a community uh with its uh with its users eventually gets you know big and then starts to make bad decisions and whatever uh that ultimately lead it to fall away and then something new comes and you know it's just this like ongoing sort of cycle of uh uh you know like, you know, cradle to grave, cradle to grave of, of new platforms. Um, and our, our hope with, uh, you know, in, in creating Audius was to break that cycle a little bit and, and create something that could actually last forever.
1: Well, I think you, you all make a very convincing case, honestly. And it's been really, really great to speak to you. And before we go, because I want to respect your time. We've been on here a while. Um, we have the last question we ask everybody, which is, and each of you have to answer. Sadly, that's the rules. Um, <laughs> what does interdependence mean to you? Oh. All. <laughs> uh,
3: I uh, I can go first, I guess. I feel like I, I've been talking a lot, so I, I'm trying to not not talk so much. You're good. Don't um, I think uh, interdependence is is really this idea that like we collectively, as a society, as as a world, can. Uh, you know, both like need to acknowledge like how uh, uh, kind of how dependent on one another we are. but like thinking about that from the positive angle, like how much we can do together like if if we can like if we acknowledge that and and kind of you know actually use it to our advantage, right? um and and to think about like all of the possibilities that that get created as we start to think about like, um, you know, what if you can more equitably share? power with with like broader groups of people right like what what new things emerge from that right um and uh uh yeah i mean i guess it gets like very very kind of uh pie in the sky philosophical to think about but i i think a lot of that sort of um ethos is is what's you know driving a lot of us at at audius right to to try and you know work on on the things that we want to work on here is is really asking like how can we more equitably uh, distribute power in in the music industry, right? For our case, but like you know, for I think that principle can apply almost anywhere else, and, and that's where we see kind of the the power of decentralization when when harnessed appropriately uh, can can really be a game changer for a lot of these things, right? Um, enabling communities to actually own and operate tools.
1: Great answer. <laughs> cool. I can I can take
4: the next one. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess to to me, interdependence, um, is almost, almost analogous, uh, in audience terms to, to community, right? Like at the end of the day, I think, um, it's all connected, um, and kind of understanding that, that any social network, um, any sort of like gathering place of of folks online, it it is a marketplace. So a lot of times it's a two sided marketplace, like the, the creators and the fans, in the case of is creators, fans, and node operators, so people hosting content. Um, but just understanding that, like this is this is a, an open marketplace, a three-sided marketplace, where every one of those those three nodes or every one of those three kind of pillars relies on the other two to have any value whatsoever. So I think I think that's where folks get into so much trouble is they focus on on one of these sides of the marketplace, um, and the other side starts to to feel kind of you know left behind. Um, so it's just something we always keep top of mind audience. How do we support all three of those those pieces and those players in the network?
2: It, to me, yeah, it, it, I li- I like the word. Um, to me, I, the first word that comes to mind is acknowledgement, and like acknowledging that that uh, people create value in different ways, and in terms of and their relationship to each other, kind of determines the transfer of that value. Like the idea that artists are creating, you know, music that resonates with people because they find it relatable, they have a story. Um, that listener also is doing that artist a favor in many cases, and we want to be able to produce or create incentives and and Ecosystems where, you know, the fan behavior is, is acknowledged and and well, well recognized in a way that, you know, hasn't been in the past. And as we're looking at the greatest reorganization of human intelligence, um, as decentralization kind of is like the ability to decide, uh, you know, what, what behaviors are valuable to whom within a, a huge network of people is like, yeah, you know, i guess that's interdependence um being able to create those tools is, is really exciting
0: awesome
1: yeah i agree i agree with i agree with all of you and I mean I'll, I'll just add to that I mean I think that you know the part of the reason we push on this kind of interdependence thesis is obviously kind of a pun on the history of independent music um one of kind of like our arguments in this case is that you know the platform economy that was so obsessed with independence has led to a kind of like barren foundation there, right? Because what good was all your independence when at the end of the day, you know, you and your community weren't around to like run the servers. And now, the, you know, those servers might eventually go down because everyone's kind of looking at for themselves. And so these kind of like node-based decentralized systems, in a sense, like... That kind of interdependence also allows for individuals to ultimately be truly independent, right? Because they feel like the work that they're doing isn't going to just collapse uh, beneath them, right? Because because they, because they can trust uh, uh, and participate in a in a sustainable um, ecosystem.
0: Because people confuse uh, independence for isolation.
1: Exactly. Right.
2: <laughs> exactly. Right. Or uh, sorry, I wanted to be more specific uh, in reference to my answer. Sorry, but like I think one of the most exciting things that that we're looking. To build for the fan communities is like incentivized uh, curation, and I think that's like a big, big piece of the uh, the streaming puzzle that has never really been addressed. And to me, that's a two way street, and that's an independence. Like the idea that like you know creating a great playlist is valuable, and you should be able to monetize that that value and that the time that you spent doing so. Um, and all kinds of other behaviors that I think are, are possible with Audius, but specifically that.
1: I, I agree. And, and of course, that is a two way street because I, I some this is a whole conversation we could have another time. But we've been talking quite a great deal about, um, you know, the interdependence of DJ and producer. Whereas in your circumstance, you know, um, a lot of uh, audience based, say, curators are underpaid um, for the labor that they bring to the to the table and help promoting someone's work. Um, you could argue that the opposite is true in the DJ-producer relationship, right? Where a DJ is often very well compensated with no expectation that they compensate the musicians who created the music that that makes their set possible. You know, so that kind of two-way interdependence, like building the rails to be able to facilitate those kind of interactions between people, I agree, is absolutely vital um, and, and necessary. Um, okay, so uh, thank you all... Yeah. Thank you all. This has been really, really wonderful. And uh, yeah, let's, let's please keep in touch. I look forward to seeing, um, you know, uh, where this goes. Um,
0: Let us know if you're ever in Berlin after the plague.
1: Yeah, exactly.
2: (laughs) Oh, (laughs) for sure. Yeah. Let's get some music on the platform, guys. Come on!
1: Yeah, well, uh, as as Holly was saying, you know, uh, asking for a friend. Um, uh, here, yeah. The thing, the, th- the thing is with us is, I mean, we have like a, a very harmonious, beautiful relationship with our our very, very wonderful record label, mm. and of course, posting posting uh, mutually owned. Uh, material is still a pretty gray area um and uh and we might i'll just say we'll be closer to understanding what that means soon um that's basically all right. i'm at liberty to say but 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 that but it is you know we're in a position where you know we're signed to a legacy indie um and we love working with them and it just makes things like that a bit you know a bit more complicated um but we'd or- happily share the podcast
2: True. Great. Yeah, there we go.
3: That would be awesome, too. I think one of our most requested uh, uh, features right now is like an RSS importer, uh, uh, right? So that you can just put your RSS feed in and have it. Uh, So yeah, it's, you know, in 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 progress. I think some folks in our community are, are working on it. Uh, uh, was last I heard, and yeah, so uh, someday there will be a way to do that. But in the meantime, we can definitely just upload uh, this
1: this episode to Audius. That would be pretty cool.
0: Well, we're not Rogan, but uh, maybe it can still be.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, for the sweet sweet price of like 160 million dollars, <laughs> we will post interdependence exclusively to Audius. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it's chill. Yeah, but we will happily happily post this in other episodes to the platform that sounds that sounds great um yeah mm-hmm. uh, yeah wonderful yeah wonderful to get to know you all a little better and don't forget
0: um, to leave your browser yeah open. please leave
1: your browser open um oh for sure but yeah we'll uh we'll say we'll say uh say goodbye have a have a great day
3: yeah have a nice
2: day thank thanks. you for having us yeah thanks. thanks
3: so much for having us have a good one